The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to the next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Scott Tobias here again with Genevieve Kosky and Keith Phipps. On last week's episode, we discussed In Cold Blood, the 1967 adaptation of Truman Capote's classic true crime book about the Clutter family murders of 1959 and the two ex-cons responsible for killing them. One of the essential pieces of that crime is how senseless and inexplicable it was. Why did four people get murdered in cold blood during what was intended to be a simple robbery? That question of why also hovered over the 2016 trial of Fabienne Cabu, a Senegalese woman who admitted to killing her 16-month-old child by leaving her on a beach and letting the tide sweep her out to sea. Director Alice Jop, a documentary filmmaker, attended Cabu's trial and became obsessed with the case, not least because she is also of Senegalese descent and was curious about Cabu, particularly her difficult relationship to her mother. That experience sowed the seeds for Saint-Omer, in which Jop's on-screen surrogate is Rama, a literature professor and novelist played by Kaije Kagame. Working on a new book about the Medea myth, the pregnant Rama heads north from Paris to the city of Saint-Omer to observe the trial of Laurence Colli, played by Guzlaji Malanga. From the stand, Colli takes questions from the judge and the lawyers about her state of mind that day, and her thoughtful responses on her feelings of isolation within France and among those presumably closest to her, have a powerful impact on Rama, and presumably those of us watching Jop's film. We'll talk about it after the break. C'était l'heure des hautes marées. Elle une se dresse devant moi. Mon projecteur, comme un appel de phare. Madame Colli, savez-vous pourquoi vous avez tué votre fille Je ne sais pas. J'espère que ce procès pourra me l'apprendre. Et toi, Rama Ça avance, ton nouveau roman Bonne nuit, J'ai grandi avec ma mère. Nous sommes très différentes. Moi, je rêvais d'être une grande philosophe. On m'a freiné dans mon élan. Okay, so, uh, basic first question about our, our new uh, film. What did you think of Saint-Omer? It's films like this, and, and pairings like this, for that matter, that make me really grateful for the word compelling. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, like, I can't say I liked this film, or I enjoyed this film, you know, uh, but it, I couldn't look away from this film either, you know. Uh, but it's it's a difficult one, and it's difficult for a variety of reasons. And I think, it, especially in its final argument, if you will, I, I found very unsettling while, you know, not being a mother myself, just like kind of the, uh, what it says about the perils of motherhood, I found, you know, kind of chilling. <laughs> uh, and like left me, you know, kind of upset at, at the end of this film. That said, you know, it's, it's a very uh, well executed film. Both of these actresses are, you know, the, the camera lingers on them. And for good reason, they, you know, do a lot with their faces, particularly uh, Rama, who has 
you know, very few lines. She's a, a taciturn character by by design, and we we feel with her very strongly. Heath, what did you think? I, I have a sense you liked it because you did, reviewed it for the reveal. But but uh, what are your thoughts? And yeah, I liked it a lot, and ended up my top ten list for for the year. I was I was really kind of kind of gripped by it. I guess compelled one, one <laughs> you might even say uh, by the film. Uh, but no, I, I um, you know I thought that the choices Jop makes are really kind of like not to get into comparisons ahead of time, but but I think you know you you present the facts of this thing, of this horrible crime, but like the humanity around it. Kind of, you, you kind of, you, no matter how starkly presented, you, you cannot keep the, the humanity from leaking out. I, that's kind of an ugly metaphor, but but uh, but you know, there there's you know the trial is designed to you know let's we lay out what happened and and why and the why of it gets really complicated and and ugly and 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 uh, in ways that that I, I don't think you would necessarily expect given the facts of of the case and. You know, Rava is her lines are few, and she seems like a, a fairly a character who is not you know, not particularly outgoing person who who doesn't speak that much. We get more more of an observer than a participant in the other aspects of her life uh, as well. But her, you know, the subtle differences that that Kagami, as you say, uh, bring, you know, brings to her her facial expressions while while taking this you know in and and just sort of the way she changes over the course of the film and, ha- and when she kind of melts down in that one one scene it doesn't overdo anything and, and i think by, by not overdoing it, it makes such moments all that more more effective i i yeah i was i was really struck by this film striking another good word <laughs> yeah striking <laughs> So you're not going to say you had a rollicking good time watching this movie. You know, so, you know, who, what, what kind of sicko I mean, would feel that I way? I mean, but, it's but no, no Megan, I, I, but... It's true. It's true. It's true. We, we enjoyed ourselves so much with Megan, we had to swing the pendulum back the yep, other way yep. this week. So I, I struggled a little bit with this one, believe it or not. And, and I'm trying to... I, I've been trying to sort out why. I, I feel like... I have a reaction to the film that is more intellectual than emotional, which is surprising to me because it, because this is such a this act is uh, the act of which uh, that that is uh, committed here that, that um, is so shocking and and such a repudiation of of you know what what you would expect you know for a, a mother to do and you you, you would think that the, that the forces that would drive her to make make this decision all of the context surrounding this decision would have just a the sledgehammer emotional impact and i didn't feel it uh which was which i, I you know i felt like the film was much more to me for uh, affecting with the with the, the head and, uh, rather than the heart, which I was, which is I, to me kind of a fault of the of the film because it's trying mm-hmm. to because I, I think you are supposed to have you know a more emotional response to it than you get. The other thing too is I I don't know about the character of Rama as a device uh, for this movie uh, to have a character who who I mean a fa- you know the, the actress is so striking who plays her and both actresses are so have these very striking faces and in to see and to see those reaction shots I mean you get the most you could possibly get from those reaction shots but it's an it, it's not a device that I found particularly cinematic and um and, it, and it's something you've seen in I've seen in other movies before where where a main character is reduced strictly to you know, an observer for the most part. And it just, it never really, it so rarely works for me. And, um, and, uh, it, it kind of didn't hear either. So it did for me because I feel like the early scenes where we learn about her life, we learned a few details about her difficult, long, difficult relationship with her mother, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that she is with a um, a white partner, like all these like sort of parallels that, that you know, you know that'll be set up later, and then like they go uncommented upon, but but I think they're in the back of our mind just as they're in the back of of Rama's mind as as she watches the trial. For me, it worked, um, you know, and, yeah. and it is it is definitely at a remove. I mean, uh, Jop is a documentarian before this. I think she's bringing some of the same storytelling impulses to this narrative film as well. But uh, I, I and I do think that character, you know, the character is somewhat distant. Uh, but I think that's that that worked for me, and it apparently, you know, didn't work for you. No, I mean, not, maybe not as well. I mean, it, just, it felt a very all that backstory too feels a little bit packaged in a way for a us little to, i, I yeah. can i can see that the fact that we can just you know it, it does check a lot of boxes yeah 
I mean, these are these are these are more minor complaints than not minor, but they're they're you know there's a lot of uh, about the film that I liked. I just kind of wanted to get my reservations out there first. Cool. I, I think I like I share those reservations a little more with the sort of the first two thirds of of the film, but I think. I think this movie, for me anyway, like the it drives the emotion home. It waits to the end to drive the emotion home. I already mentioned that sort of the closing argument that Lawrence's attorney or counselor. I I'm, I don't know anything about the French legal system, so yeah, that was fascinating. <laughs> no, yeah, episodes, right. yeah. Um, like, but that she is like, yes, it is. It is very written, you know, and it is very like sort of yeah. underlining these. But it got me, like just like the the, okay. the notion of it, very very much got to me and then combined with uh, what Keith already mentioned Rama's sort of you know breakdown sobbing because most of the movie is just I mean it is an intellectual exercise it's a, it's a trial you know like like it, it, I find it almost amusing that this uh, movie begins with a pretty long sequence of the of the judge laying out the facts of the case and like just telling us everything that happened and that is like the conceit of the movie but it does sort of like place you as an observer you know <laughs> someone uh, observing this rather than feeling it like kind of is starting the story that way at least Lawrence's story we have already spent some time with Rama at that point but yeah, I don't know. The, the the end of this film really worked for me, but I can very much understand it feeling kind of heavy handed uh, or tortured. Yeah, I think I, I think that I, I think I was also left cold by the, the, the speech mm-hmm. by the lawyer there just because it just felt like too flagrant a violation of the things I of certain dr- long held dramatic values. I mean, to be able to, to basically give what is more or less the film's thesis directly to the camera to us to speak to us in that way is I, just not the subtlest thing but I, I don't think it's trying for subtlety I think that's the, no, the it, point it, like I she's, it, it isn't, she's like staring just... us directly in the face and I think yeah. that that is what it, and I will say like that is the one part in the movie where we see other women in the courtroom that we haven't seen before you know the camera actually starts roving to to other mm. women's faces as well so i think that is like very much a like speaking directly to women <laughs> moment at least that's how i experienced it it is not surprising to learn that jop does come from that nonfiction background because there is a directness to this movie that is unusual and a lot of it is beneficial i mean i you know i mean you know i think it's it ends up being you know a simple but extremely strong choice cinematically to to really show us so many long unbroken (laughs) passages of of testimony you know it it, that's that is very unusual for a movie to do feels like something like like a direct cinema thing you'd see you'd see somebody like you know uh Frederick Wiseman pull off it, but it's put in the context of a fiction film, and it works great. Uh, you know, and, and, it, it's, and the actresses are again so. Uh, Guslashi Malanga is so. I mean, what a presence she has, and, and and so to be able to kind of focus on her and and the thing the things that she's saying, and to access those access that testimony as directly as we do, ends up being a very powerful and persuasive cinematic choice, uh, a directorial choice that maybe somebody who who um, doesn't come from a nonfiction background might not have made. I also was just very fascinated by sort of the mechanics of this courtroom. Uh, again, not, you know, knowing any nuance of, of the French legal system and how it differs from ours. Like it, it was like watching a, a funhouse mirror version of an American uh, courtroom drama, you know, like the, you know, had a lot of the same beats, but they were all a little different, you know, like jury selection, like that, that's how that works there. Or, you know, like cross examination is a whole different thing. The judge wears a red, red robe. <laughs> like I, it was, I definitely like a couple of times felt felt the itch to like Google, you know, French courtroom custom stuff, but I I did not. Nor do I like think it would have added anything to the film. But I think sort of as a as a viewing experience for me, that was sort of an an added element of interest here. It gives so much power. It seems again from from American eyes to give so much power to the judge. I mean, mm-hmm. the judge is is also ends up being the. It actually asking most of the questions and and uh and the the yeah. uh other other attorneys i mean they, they come in from you know different angles sharper angles they're you know angles of uh, you know that they're that you would expect from a prosecuting attorney a defense attorney in the in the u.s but a lot of you know everything is sort of driven 
uh, by questions from from the bench, and uh, that was fascinating to watch. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just now thinking about our if we have French listeners being just like, "Come on, man, do you really, we, do you really have to hear about you know these idiots talking about the our robe. system?" But the judge's robe is red. That's so weird, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Did you know actually in, in France they don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? All right, gone. Sorry. Um, <laughs> But it's it did draw out. I mean, the, those the questions did feel uh, from the from the judge anyway. It felt like they were evoking a defense or at least an explanation. I kept feeling like sympathy coming from the judge. Or I kept feeling a a desire for Lawrence to to explain herself. I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously curious. that's what we want. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. I think she does come to this with a certain amount of sympathy, especially compared to say the prosecuting attorney who you know has a, a couple real dickish moments. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I guess as is his. Uh, uh, right as the prosecuting attorney of someone who has, you know, more or less confessed to murder already. But, yeah. you know, there's there are some like very awkward moments of testimony to like the philosophy uh, instructor talking about <laughs> like, uh, like how why would why would she want to study a philosopher outside of her own culture, you know, or uh, the the, yeah. the the very sympathetic understanding white male law enforcement officer who you know really wanted to contextualize what happened in in terms of her senegalese identity and invokes female genital mutilation like there's just these sort of you know they they go uncommented upon but you can kind of see you know flickers go across uh, lawrence's face and rama's for that matter uh that you know suggests they may be cut a little more than they were intended to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I credit the Wittgenstein moment to how can someone from Africa ever understand uh, <laughs> a European philosophy? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that kind of stuff. And there's not even that – It, I don't want to say there's that much of it because it's, it's, it's sort of pervasive, but it's like there's only a few moments that are that pointed, but when they when they do arrive, they're really pointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also some, there's I seem to remember some bit about her – uh, not being a very good writer, but being somebody who, who who presents herself very intelligently in class and then doesn't can't write very well or yeah. something like that. As far as the sort of the dickishness, I guess, of the prosecution is that it, you know, I mean, the, I think his job in that situation is to is to say, hey, let's you know, we're asking a lot of questions now about you know, why she did this, but let's not forget what it is yeah. that she did. Yeah, and, and I think that's I think that's useful. I mean, that's useful from a strategic standpoint. I think it's also useful for us as viewers to not minimize right. this action that is that is shocking, and it's something we don't see. Uh, I think we get we get a little bit of an artful glimpse of uh, of it at the beginning, where where she's preparing to do what she ends up doing. But that is a, that is a pretty you know uh, shocking thing to do to your child. Uh, so it's I think it is important for for the movie in some some way to kind of keep uh, that in the in, in our minds as well before kind of trying to kind of let the context of what happened you know blot that out or mute that to some to any extent. Yeah, I mean, I th- think it's actually kind of really important to have that prosecuting attorney there and that sort of antagonist role because Rama is such a sympathetic point of view character here, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I, we've already established like the many links bet- between her and Lawrence and, you know, she is like very clearly processing everything that's happening, like through those similarities and, you know, her own pregnancy and and pending motherhood and all the fear it brings with it. So I think because of that, it is very easy to sort of quote unquote side with Lawrence or just like, it's, it's very, this is very easy for me to sort of understand the, what, what drove her to this, even as she was like, very obfuscating and expressing herself. You know, it did, maybe just something about like Rama's face staring at her. I felt like it, you know, was urging us to just sympathize with her. So having these bursts of, you know, the prosecuting attorney or Luke's testimony kind of complicating that feeling and and giving a, a, a different reaction was really important for the balance of that. I mean, in the, I mean, this, the, the parallels between the two women are so striking. I mean, their 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 the roots, their their relationship to their mother, their their um, 
being uh, academics. They're, they're both, right, exactly. They're both, <laughs> and uh, ambitious, both ac- yeah. academics, and, and you know, and they're both you know, one is a mother, one is a mother to be, and so so the, I mean, the parallels are so strong that uh, I mean, how how could she not? How could Rama not think about paths that her life could have taken had things gone a different way? And how could she not think about her own? sense of dis you know dislocation uh from you know the rest of uh you know french society or in in from africa as well i mean you know a sense of of uh these two women being kind of stranded in terms of their identities of not really feeling like they belong anywhere and it's just and it's just it's just ends up being a much more powerful and ultimately destructive feeling for lawrence but they both feel it and i think it's notable that like right from the very beginning, we established that Rama is not necessarily comfortable with her pregnancy. Like there's that moment at the family dinner where her husband, you know, says they're they're making some big changes to the house. Clearly, <laughs> clearly a prompt to share some news, which she she does not share, and and he seems to understand why not. But there is definitely a you know a reaction to that. So even before it is confirmed for us that that Rama is pregnant, it establishes that she it is not necessarily over the moon about about it which of course would color her reaction to what lawrence did even more yeah, almost, I, I have to kind of almost go back to that performance i've been thinking about that performance because i i, I talked at the jump about my discomfort or dislike of using that character as kind of a dramatic device i, I don't you typically like it in movies and, and i'm not necessarily persuaded by it here but that actress is so compelling like that what a face and like mm-hmm. like just you know there's so much that you know it, it's so hard to express yourself on screen when you have nothing to say when it's all in your reaction to have a performance that's so heavily reliant on on reaction shots and still project or suggest to some degree what you might be thinking I mean, that's really hard to do and it's a really amazing piece of casting and a, a really good performance i think in its way yeah, it would definitely. I mean, you know, it's kind of kind of a pat thing to say, but it definitely would not be the same film with different performances. I, I was, I was really trying. I don't think I'd seen either of these uh, leads before, and I definitely will be on lookout the, for them in the future. Yeah, there's no way. There's no link if you if you, even if you go on like Wikipedia, where they don't have Wikipedia pages. These actresses. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, maybe we'll uh, see uh, more from them later but uh but there's a lot of uh striking performances in in cold blood as well and a lot of connections a lot a lot of connections that we can make uh between saint omer and in cold blood and so we're going to go ahead and do that after the break les images que vous venez de voir dont j'ai choisi de lier la violence directe l'historicité frontale au récit de la femme tendue que Duras invente dans Hiroshima, mon amour, nous montre comment l'auteur a su transmuer le choc et le sentiment de révolte éprouvé devant ces scènes, par ailleurs banales au moment de l'épuration, en un chant presque lyrique. Now it's time for connections when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. Uh, well, one thing is uh, that they're both true crime stories, Keith. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the most obvious one. Is these are both based on on fact. Saint Omer is is more um, more fictionalized. I mean, we can get into the ethics of In Cold Blood, but but it's definitely not. Uh, purporting to tell exactly the same story, however much the details might square up. But these are both cases. Like you know, I had I had not heard of the the story at the heart of Saint Omer before, but but it was a you know googling a little bit, it was a, certainly a big story in France and and other parts of of Europe. So you know, places that these are cases that some of the audience at least would be be familiar with. And I you you know we're talking about films. You know, if 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 In Cold Blood is sort of it's sort of the big bang for for true crime. This is something that's taking place at the other end of it. It's 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 the most most recent version of it. So I think it might be worth talking about the how it like use you know how is or and is not part of part of that genre that we that we now call true crime. 
Yeah, it's very unconventional. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, it, which is not to say that in, in Cold Blood itself it is conventional. I, I think it has its own distinctions. It has thing. It has elements that other films of its kind would 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 carry over certainly. But but um, there's a lot of complexity to its structure. There's a lot of complexity to its mix of of docudrama and you know more expressive film noir qualities. It is bringing a lot of things to this genre that that um, are unusual, but certainly not in the way that. Saint Omer does. Saint Omer is striking in a whole lot of different ways. And if you want to talk about in terms of true crime, it is not showing us the crime. It is a courtroom drama, but it is kind of extreme in that respect. In that it is very procedurally oriented. It's very it's very oriented towards the testimony. It it is taking place almost entirely, you know, heavily in this in this courtroom with a, a lot of scenes of unbroken testimony in process and things like that. I mean, again, these are not. These are not things that we think about when we think about true crime at all. And I think the other thing is too is that in both cases, the the question being explored is is why it's not it's not the 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 details of the crime necessarily. Though both films get into those a little bit. It's really about trying to to. They're both really about trying trying to kind of sort out the case and and sort out sort out something cases that are unusual and um and trying to get trying to get at something psychological and not. And uh, that's a little different too. But uh, what do you think? What do you think, Genevieve? How, how, how they function? Is, I mean, I can't even think about San Omer as true crime, and yet I guess <laughs> it technically is. Yeah. Well, I, one of the things I think is interesting about these two films in tandem is how soon they came out after the crimes on which mm. they are based. Both of them came out within under a decade of their sort of the events that inspired them. And that, like, I think it just creates a context where viewers, I mean, obviously, we are not watching this in in 1967, but viewers in uh, 1967 certainly knew the story of In Cold Blood. And Keith, you said that the the story uh, that that inspired Santomer was was well known in France. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it positions the story from a place of we know who did the crime we know they're guilty it's the the question of guilt is not the story that's being told here it's it's the why it's the you know the psychological element as as you said scott so that is like that's often the case with true crime where it's sort of we know the killer we know what happened going in and it's you know more about understanding the details that that led to that moment i think that that is also maybe where some of the squickiness around true crime sort of mythologizing of uh of criminals uh maybe comes into play i don't think that's necessarily the a problem with either of these films but i think you know when you are coming at a story from you know, a place of acknowledging that this person that uh, committed this horrible crime, then being asked to understand them and sympathize with them is, you know, it's a different sort of alignment with our, you know, quote unquote protagonists than than we're necessarily used to with uh, other genres. Yeah, and that kind of gets us to an, another connection, which is which is the commitment that both films have to understanding madness, uh, because because we do start at a point where where um, the audience is completely familiar with these cases. These are these are cases where what were well well covered, and this is something that Capote was able to get at within Cold Blood is that he had you know one of the things he had sort of as an exclusive is access to the killers, particularly Perry. And he's able to, to to try to answer questions that we that that the facts alone won't can't can't tell us about his about his mindset about you know h- how this robbery became resulted in the 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 deaths of four people who were you know cooperating and unarmed. So uh, yeah, that 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 there, you get the insight there, and then of course Son of Mara is, is really all about understanding Lawrence you know but that's that's kind of what the courtroom proceeding is is doing it's just like how how could this happen what who, who what, what were you thinking what led up to this you know what what were you thinking at, at the moment and and uh and it's it's uh then the question then becomes in both films like and then also of of Capote's book is is like is it okay for us to sympathize you know I mean if, if we understand this madness if we understand where they're coming from if we can sympathize with their aspects of their past and, and present that 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 may have 
you know, disturb them psychologically. Is that okay to feel that way to, to be able to sympathize with, with people who have committed uh, such, such awful acts. I, and I think both films are responsible with, with that, with that question, but I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe not. What do you, what do you all think? I find it kind of amusing that Saint Omer kind of literally mythologizes the the, the uh, madness or the, the crime. Um, uh, you know, Rama is writing a book about the Medea myth, and at one point watches a, a YouTube video of a of a Medea film. Did either of you know what that film was? By the way, no, I, I didn't recognize it. Okay, but and then at the and it, uh, the chimera is uh, brought into it as well. So there's sort of these, you know, very established mythological tropes through which we are viewing this this character's sort of uh, unraveling, which I, I thought was interesting just in terms of the idea that, you know, we, these criminals are being mythologized. I thought in Saint-Omer, though, it's kind of like, the opposite of that, where I think she brought right. the Medea story into this and realized it didn't fit. Yeah, totally. Like, like I, I, I don't know if Alice Job was doing that like purposefully as a sort of like tweaking of uh, understanding of true crime, how the true crime genre uh, treats criminals, but mm-hmm. it, it certainly played to me as sort of a, a flipping of that. Tyler Perry did that as well. With the Medea <laughs> myth. Well, no, that's not right. Um, different Medea. Yeah. Um, and to link it back to uh, in, in Cold Blood uh, and sort of understanding the the madness of, of these characters, both of these films tie very strongly to sort of their childhood and their their parents uh, and their parental relationships. Uh, they do so via flashback, and there's sort of a very strong correlation drawn between childhood trauma and sort of inflicting trauma or violence as an adult. For sure, yeah. And again, it's kind of about accounting for the crimes rather than explaining them away, you know. Um, yeah, but I was curious to ask you all about um, if you talk about understanding madness and about explanations for this crime, about the whole about the sorcery angle of this in Santo Mare. Well, I mean, I think you can't really ask that question without understanding the culture from which uh, she comes. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, no, I'm being a little glib there uh, because, like, maybe that is a factor, but just like the no, I mean, the, the way no, it is I, presented, I'm not it's, not, it's, it's fine. <laughs> but it is something. It is an explanation. It is, and it almost it, it really removes her from the equation. Yeah. It removes responsibility mm-hmm. from the equation. Yeah, I think it's just a lot of it's, it's part of the pattern of the film is presenting these explanations that don't explain that. Yeah. You know, I, I think you know, it's, it's. I think at one point she says, "There's no explaining this," and 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 then the film proceeds to prove her right because there, there's that. There is the, you know, kind of being a kept woman of this artist, and you know, not being allowed to interact with his family, and you know, there there is that, and it certainly seems to be true. But also, he's the one who took care of the kid. It's all very. There's all there's all these kind of contradictions in every single. Um, element of the, of the of the story the clairvoyant with no phone records that was a, right. a very yeah. you know i like i like that about you know this is a film about failing to explain the unexplainable mm-hmm. there, i mean there, it, there is like you know madness w- is an explanation and probably the best explanation, but I mean, what what is madness? I guess is a whole other question. But 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 uh, uh, Laurence is is so composed. Uh, I guess she breaks down, but she's also, you know, not someone who seems you, you, who if you just talk to her for a moment would seem unstable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of true of Perry as well. I mean, it's certainly true of Dick in In Cold Blood, but you know. Perry is, I mean, he's definitely a, he can definitely be a menacing figure. Again, that's sort of that opening scene. But, you know, he's he's another sort of just like taciturn figure. His madness isn't loud. You know, it's very internal. The only reason we are aware of it is through these sort of flashback uh, devices. Uh, and, and, you know, we kind of see the effect it has on him through some, you know, acting choices, but it's not explicated in in the dialogue in, in any way that he is, this is going on inside of him. Yeah. It's, he's, there's a, there, there's a interesting sen- sensitivity to, to him, a vulnerability to him and to uh, Lawrence and obviously in San Omer, you know, but, and of course there's, the, there's this idea of this incident being a, a moment of temporary insanity, at mm-hmm. least in the case of in cold blood of just like of Perry being like this ticking time bomb or being, being this, this situation 
being put in the situation that he he was psychologically not prepared to handle and in it in in you know this this explosion that was was almost was you know bound to happen you know something it when th- things went the way they did it's a little different i think in San Omer, just because there was a certain amount of planning involved, I guess, uh, you know, it didn't feel like it, it didn't seem as much like a spontaneous act. Or am I wrong about that? Yeah, because I mean, she had to travel to do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I mean, just the, you yeah. think about the time that she spent to get there, the mm-hmm. her plan yeah. of just of getting away, you know, of, of yeah. uh, I mean, there was a there was this thought of of getting away with it, you know, and, yeah. and also wanting to do this. I mean, what 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 Perry and dick want to do is get money yeah. <laughs> i mean that was that they wanted to do that's not what ended up ha- ended up happening it's sort of the opposite ends of the spectrum as far as uh between perry and lawrence you know like the quote-unquote temporary insanity and lawrence like you know we're given to understand like she was in a dark dark place even before she got pregnant <laughs> you know or, or at least as as she puts it uh and you know it, it kind of feels like this act was the culmination of a long drawn drawn out descent rather than an explosive act yeah that's that's probably that's probably true one connection i guess or point of departure between the two that i think's worth talking about is the, is the structure because uh, you know we we had talked a lot about the structure of in cold blood and in the in the placement of the of the uh, murders towards the end of the movie and the, the flashbacks and then also some of the uh, the nature of those flashbacks, uh, uh, you know, within flash. I mean, there's a lot of interesting work with time. The structure of, of Saint Omer is intriguing too, you know, because you do get this, you get a, a portion of the film where it begins, where, where you're getting to know Rama and getting some context for her life before you, you get to Saint Omer. And then you have something that is a movie that is actually quite, strikingly straightforward in terms of just you're you're in this courtroom you're seeing these proceedings you're you're hearing you know a courtroom proceeding as as it might actually unfold or at least some some portion of a courtroom proceeding as actually might unfold yeah but there are some i think really important digressions within that that straightforwardness like there are several flashbacks to to rama's childhood at uh you know notable points as as they relate to the testimony unfolding and there's also the the scenes with Lawrence's mother which I found I actually don't know do we do did you find those scenes additive at all I think they shed some light on where Lawrence comes from I found them memorable mm-hmm. certainly the the lunch scene and the way she kind of is proud of her daughter for being in the newspaper. Yeah, which kind of yeah, that was really such a, <laughs> interesting. It's a disturbing detail mm-hmm. that that kind of, you, but also like I, I, it's another it's another character that I don't know that she's easy to, easy to explain yeah. at, at all either. Which I think is which given given I guess um, Lawrence's feelings about about her, I think makes that I think it makes sense that that yeah. that, that depiction mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. That, I mean, that's one of the things that in Sonomare's favor is I think that that all of these characters that we do see and hear from from Lawrence's life are so complicated and so interesting. I mean, the the, the father of her child is a, a really interesting character. The, her, her professor or whatever that, that's it. You know, he's got an interesting perspective as well as does her lawyer, as does as the does the judge, as as does the prosecutor, whatever the equivalent of a prosecuting attorney is. I mean, all that all that, all of that these. Uh, Characters have been pretty well thought through and have, um, you know, in 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 kind of evoke a lot of different feelings. They're 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 not really drawn in too stark a way. So before we finish connections, we have to have our closing argument uh, <laughs> about about a connection between the films, which is the closing arguments, uh, Genevieve. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it in in the first half, uh, sort of how I found it uh, uh, unexpected that so little of In Cold Blood took place in the courtroom based on what I, my understanding of the film had been. And also sort of the uh, short bit we get of the prosecuting attorney's closing argument which is weirdly quoting from the bible <laughs> like like he had to read the thou shall not kill but the very long passage he, he knew by heart i thought that was kind of funny it also seemed like something that wouldn't you might have heard more courtrooms at the time than you do now yeah that that too but also just contrasted with with san omer and the very uh 
either uh, effective or, or overwritten uh, closing argument, depending on, on your point of view. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is like a, a, a striking contrast. But, you know, they do both serve in a way to let the film make a bigger statement. I think much more explicitly in Saint-Omer, but uh, I don't know. Do you see any sort of big rhyme between the the courtroom, what we get in the courtroom and in Cold Blood and what the film is doing at large, or is it kind of a separate thing? Well, I almost feel like the, when I think about closing arguments in in Cold Blood, I almost think about it metatextually. I think about it like, what is the, what is the argument the film is making? Mm-hmm. Where, is, where does it end its argument? Where does it end up? And that was something we, we got into a little bit about, about its feelings about the death penalty. Uh, there's so much invested in understanding how death row works and understanding how the process works of, of hanging a person and what can be expected from that process. Uh, we get a lot more from Perry and about his his reflections on the on the past and his uh, his his feelings, all of that kind of comes through, and that kind of uh, that feels like a closing argument in and of itself. You know, it it has it doesn't really have to do with a courtroom. It has to do with you know morality and it has to do with uh, justice, you know, justice, right? And and, and the mechani- right, the machinations of society and how we treat you know, the the people who've done the worst crimes and what you know what what does that say about us as a as a as a society? That is that is all kind of reserved to the end and 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 then you're left with uh more death <laughs> not just the clutters who have, who have died but but uh, also these two men we've gotten to know who who have their neck snapped and their hearts continue to beat and they defecate or whatever like it's like that level of just like you know you're really just getting more death and and um uh the, the film i think is is making its own argument in that in that way and I, th- I mean, I think San Omer does something kind of similar in its final scene, which is not that big uh, lawyer speech. But uh, months later, uh, Rama with her mother, uh, you know, in in silence, but holding hands, you know, and her. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's. I, I thought it was very interesting that the sort of final line of dialogue as the film was her mother just saying, I'm tired, <laughs> you know, and then that being the end and sort of, uh, I, I feel just as a punctuation mark on, you know, what the attorney was laying out as far as, you know, the potentially destructive symbiotic relationship between mother and child and it sort of passing on through generations. It was just a, uh, that, that was sort of the, the emotional button on that maybe more uh, intellectually oriented closing argument. Yeah. It's a, it's a kind of a, a lovely little sort of d- denouement. Mm-hmm. In Cold Blood, I was able to watch through TCM via Hulu Live or whatever, but you can't do that anymore. So Inkle Bullet can be rented on the usual streaming services. You can also uh, get it on DVD or Blu-ray from Criterion. Saint-Omer is currently in theaters. Finally, it's time to recommend a film or film-related item that complements this set of episodes. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes it'll put some interesting choices on your radar. And Scott, you are the one who is going to put some interesting <laughs> choices on our radar this time, correct? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, uh, so um, for the reveal, I guess it would be a couple of weeks ago, I, I wrote a piece about the neon box set. Neon is the distributor of Sant. Omer, kind of a ranking the 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 son, the, uh, the neon box, and the neon box is has become, I think, for critics, and I think I think uh, you you all will probably agree with this, kind of the most anticipated shipment of screener season, and and they're they're, they're such an interesting, you know, the other really interesting one is a a twenty four, and I think people know a twenty four because a twenty four is is has a little more money, they're extremely good at branding themselves you almost have a sense of what an a24 film is but the films that neon has been able to distribute in the last several years have been pretty incredible they they did parasite they did portrait of a lady on fire they did uh the worst person in the world and memoria and now this year they've got santo mare and and uh you know i just i i kind of wanted to go through i mean I, you know i i saw all 12 films that they that were in the box that were put out this year. All 12 films were critically acclaimed. And I quite liked 
11 out of the 12 of them. So, uh, so it is, uh, you know, a pretty formidable list. And a lot of them are coming to uh, Criterion. My favorite film, one of my favorite films of the year is, is a neon film called All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. That's Laura Poitras' uh, documentary about uh, the photographer Nan Golden and her you know, various connections in the, in the New York art and activism scene, and, you know, and it, it sort of, ha- you know, that's, a, that's an incredible movie. Um, they've got a couple of films that they put out this year that are going right to Criterion, including Santa Mare. Also, uh, Moon Age Daydream is going to Criterion. Triangle of Sadness is going to Criterion. They did the, they did the, the David Cronenberg movie, Crimes of the Future. And I guess one, you know, to kind of put a, cap on this uh, the the one film one film that, that people may not have seen or heard of that they should really keep an eye out for uh, that neon put out this year is called the quiet girl and i think maybe it's maybe they maybe it's still in theater so so maybe people are just catching up to it but it's this really beautiful uh simple irish drama about a nine-year-old girl who's very withdrawn and is part of this poor yet very rapidly expanding irish family who is gets sent off to live in the country with her mother's distant relatives who have no children and um and it's about the relationships she forms with them the bond that she forms with them on a farm and then of course the inevitable moment when she has to kind of return to a you know a much less satisfying life at home and uh it's such a gorgeous movie and and uh and i think it's it's one of those things where where you know it's worth looking at the label sometimes, you know, it was my, it was kind of my, that was my um, thing when I was getting into music. It was like, Oh, merge records, put this out. I need to listen to it, you mm-hmm. know, cause they have really good taste. And I think the level of curation, the diversity of, of selections that they have with, with, with neon, I think it's kind of worth, you know, we know a 24 is a brand. I think it's worth kind of getting to know neon as a label and kind of seeing that and uh seeing as potentially a you know a mark of quality because sonomer is uh really the tip of a very large iceberg Uh, plus they got a cool logo kind of kind of leaps out (laughs) it does it does so there you go so so i you know sorry i it feels weird recommending a company (laughs) but uh but when you when you when you when you put out that much good work it's kind of like all right yeah yeah i'll recommend it well you mentioned the quiet girl which i i looked up while while you were talking about it and i i don't know if it has it it had an uh, oscar qualifying run in new york and la at the end of 2022 but i don't see anything about a wider release okay so maybe 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 it's something that's going to be coming up yeah yeah, but it is, uh, I guess, uh, Ireland's Oscar submission. Uh, so if it it's an Irish with subtitles. Yeah, I, I, Irish <laughs> it, language. Uh, a yeah. lot of that language you do not under you know you do not Wait, understand. Wait, it's, it's an it's an Irish. I mean, yes. it's actually in in Irish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, then pretty, you wouldn't it, understand any of it. I wouldn't. No, think. not it's at all. Totally, it, it's, it's a totally different language. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, but it is. It's. It's lovely. It's. It's there. They did Petite Maman. That was also them. Mm-hmm. It's like this is their. Yeah. This is this year's petite mama for them in terms of like you know like kind of where where you're at on it emotionally it's lovely lovely stuff hope i get to see it i'm sad i don't get the neon box anymore <laughs> i know i know we gotta, we gotta get you we got you get it on the detroit is there there's a detroit <laughs> I, i'll film start the detroit society? film critics society <laughs> society is, is like there one i mean midwest film critics society online but you gotta get on something there is a, a detroit film critics society oh. um it has a wikipedia entry that has over 20 members i don't see why you shouldn't be a part of this unless it's like lame <laughs> it could be lame. let's see was their best film of <laughs> Let's see what their their best film, most recent best film winner. Um, they seem to only have back to 2021 on this Wikipedia page. But yeah. oh, their best film was Cyrano. Oh, Whoa. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that was last year. Best director, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Ooh. Best actor, Peter Dinklage. Chastain. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. What? Lin-Manuel Miranda for- Tick, Tick, Boo. For Tick, Tick, Boo? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Okay. Best supporting actor, John Bernthal. In the film King, oh King Richard, yeah, okay. I was like, I was thinking, I was thinking, trying to think of some costume. Did I miss a costume driver called King Richard? Like, no, I, I understand. Oh my gosh, he was actually really good in that film too. So anyway, yeah. all right. Well, you got to get in there. You got to, you got to take it over. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, those are some pretty weird selections. Um. <laughs> That's it for this edition of the Next Picture Show. But we'll be back next week with a special episode that dips into television a little. Genevieve, uh, do you want to tell us about our episodes dropping February 7th and 14th? Sure. 
The new HBO series, The Last of Us, based on the popular video game franchise, tells the story of a dystopian future where a highly transmissible fungus is turning humans into what are essentially zombies. While the outbreak has spread around the world, a handful of survivors have remained human, but they're fighting on more than one front. There's also civil tension between the authoritarian government, Fedra, and a rebel faction known as the Fireflies, and our hero, played by Pedro Pascal, has his allegiances tested. Of particular interest is a 14-year-old girl named Ellie, played by Bella Ramsey, who's immune to the infection and thus highly valuable to all parties and perhaps the future of mankind. That aspect of the story calls to mind Alfonso Cuaron's 2006 sci-fi movie Children of Men, which is set in a dystopian England where the world is beset by mass infertility and the human species is headed toward extinction. The one glint of hope is a young woman who happens to be pregnant. For now, we welcome your feedback on In Cold Blood, Saint-Omer, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net or leave us a voicemail at 773-234-9730. Before we close out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Keith Phipps? Uh, I'm a freelance writer. I'm on Twitter at kphipps3000 still somehow. Um, and you can find my work at places like GQ, The Ringer, TV Guide, Vulture, and a place called The Reveal, which is a newsletter on Substack that I co-write with my friend and fellow podcast co-host, Scott Tobias. It's thereveal.substack.com. We're doing a, we're, we're watching all 100 of Sight and Sound's 100 best movies of all time. Um, not, not all at once, though. We're, we're doing it slowly. No, we're going to uh, do it over a period of years. Yes, yes. Uh, Jenny, how about you? I am a TV editor at Vulture, uh, where I edit many things, including uh, recaps of The Last of Us, written by one Keith Phipps. So if you want to uh, prepare uh, for our next pairing, you might want to check that out. Um, And I am on Twitter, sort of still doing stuff. I I retweeted an article today (laughs) Uh, at at Genevieve Kosky. Scott? Were you attacked by neo-Nazis when you did so? No, no. I, I just retweeted <laughs> okay, something I edited, which nice, is pretty much okay. all I do on Twitter now. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's so weird to think about like, yeah, I, I'm still there. I'm going to stay and fight. It's like, I didn't I didn't come to a fight. I just came here to just shoot the shit with my friends. Why is this Why has this become a nightmare? Anyway, you can find me at that at Twitter and at <laughs> Scott underscore Tobias. <laughs> yeah. I'm still, uh, you know, which has become, it reminds me of Usenet back when I first started being on the internet. Um, you could find me on at the reveal with, with Keith and you can find me in the New York times, uh, and, uh, vulture guardian and other fine publications. Uh, you can find our absent co-host Tasha on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. She is also the film and streaming editor for polygon.com. You can stay updated on the next picture show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at next picture pod. Get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash next picture show. And as always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan, the baked Jakes for his assistance producing this podcast. The next picture show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. It's time.